What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited that you joined us today because we have a very special guest. Our guest today is Sari Ibrahim. Sari is a financial specialist, private money lender, real estate investor, and member of the Bank on Yourself organization. He helps business owners, real estate investors, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth regardless of marketing conditions or market conditions using a financial strategy that has been around for over 160 years. I'm excited for you to meet him. Let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Sari, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm a big fan. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be fun. And you know what? It's always great to bring experts and people that really get what they're doing and share them with our audience. So I am so excited to dig in and and find out more about your journey and how you got to this place that you're doing what you're doing. You're doing some incredible things. Uh, So we're excited to have you here. I want to start with sort of the backstory. Oftentimes we get caught up uh, a lot of shows and a lot of people get caught up talking about the thing, right? And they jump yeah. in so quickly to talk about the thing. But I love to hear about the background, about how you got here, because so many of us as entrepreneurs and creators, we are kind of lonely, right? We kind of get out yeah. there and we do these things and we it's like, oh man, we're on this journey on our own. And I think it's really helpful to be able to hear where you came from, how you got to this place, and and kind of what led you here. So let's start a little bit with the backstory. Share with us where you began and, and what led you down this path to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, being an entrepreneur is not like a, a checklist thing, something you just check off your list and become an entrepreneur. It's a it's a life journey. It's a it's a struggle. Um, most of the time it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make logical sense, but we end up doing it because ultimately we believe in it, right? Right. And some of the things I've kind of believed in growing up, like my favorite class was I was a senior in high school and I had to take a, a class called consumer economics. We all did. It was a requirement to graduate. Right. And this class was a very basic business class, right? Or a finance class, personal finance. It was like how to write a check. What is a mortgage? What is interest? What is a credit card? You know, how to not get into debt. And I think that was like the most important class I took in high school because it's it's the most relevant, right, to growing up and becoming an adult and and pursuing a career is how to handle your personal finance. And it's something many of us kind of overlook. Even even I have colleagues, even people I know that have degrees in business who still kind of lack personal finance experience and and um, and discipline, right? Because it's not something we're taught at a young age. So I wanted to kind of make that my journey to teach people about personal finance, to kind of show people how to think creatively about money, not just how to, you know, how to live in the conventional zone or conventional lines within financial planning. Uh, so I got my, I, I, I was on the struggle to kind of find this right job or this right career. So I, I got my MBA. And then after I got my MBA, I started working. My first professional job was working at Allstate Insurance. And I loved working there. I learned a lot about people and communication and business. 
And then after that, it led me to starting my own business. And I became like an independent advisor where I was representing more than one company, not just one company, but more than one company and helping people plan financially, retirement planning. Um, and I, and I loved it because it was kind of, it was, it was deep into personal finance, right? Working with people, working with a lot of retirees, all, all types of backgrounds and all, and all over the country. So that's what I do now. I have a company called Financial Asset Protection, and it's exactly what we do financial services uh, in all 50 states. We also have a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. And the the pod, as you could probably tell by the podcast name, Thinking Like a Bank, it tells a lot about our mission. We're trying to help people think differently about money, think like a bank, rather than just think like a consumer or a customer, rather take the, the, the wheel of a, a, a large Fortune 500 company, even if you're just a small business owner or an individual. So Glad to be here. Glad to talk about more strategies on thinking like a bank or any strategies you want to talk about. Absolutely. You know, talk to me a little bit about kind of what was the calling. You know, you said you found some interest in that back in, in the early days, but why this? I mean, so many people choose a lot of different things. You know, my, yeah. my daughter loves art. Uh, I love acquisitions, you know, like why, what was it that, that really drawed you to the, financial space like what was it that that called your attention to it and really grabbed a hold of you yeah i noticed that as i was going throughout my like my first job i noticed that people became very comfortable speaking to me and like opening up and and we would go beyond just talking about you know boring insurance or things like that we'd go into having right. more meaningful conversations and i and I, that was my calling i was like this is what I want to do. I want to have meaningful conversations with people, not just transactional conversations, not just about rates or rates of returns, but more about who they are and what they want to do. And, and, and it helps being a podcast host, right? It helps getting to know people right. and, and understanding their background. So that's that was my calling, Michael. I wanted to learn more about people. I wanted to constantly interview people. So it's really nice when we're going through financial analysis meetings with clients and that whole one hour is just, it's like 80% the client speaking, right? It's getting to know who they are, how they started their business. And like we already mentioned, right? Starting a business is not something you just check off your list and, you know, you know, you just pursue it. It's something, it's a life journey. And it's really interesting when you get to know why people do certain things. Some of my, some of our clients start businesses to improve their, their wealth, right? To find financial freedom, to work on their own terms or even just to, to start something that they can't start within their company, because a lot of companies are structured in ways where they have their, their own systems, their own processes. So when you can branch off from that, start your own business, you can now create your own system. That's one of the benefits of entrepreneurship. You can create your own brand, your own system. You can take, you know, from the different companies you've worked at the ideas, the concepts, and then wrap it all together and then make your own concept out of that. Right. So it's really interesting to get to know those things. So that was kind of my calling is getting to know where people wanted to go. And, and I'm comfortable in that, in that role, right. Of understanding what people want to accomplish financially, not just financially, but what, what do they want to accomplish individually? I love that, you know, financial literacy is so undertaught and mm -hmm. is so under explained. What have you found working with so many different business owners and entrepreneurs is the biggest challenge that that they all seem to have in common? Have you found something that's like, oh, this is the thing. This is like, if we could just get everybody learning that, what's what's that thing that, that sort of keeps coming up over and over again? Maybe it's multiple things. It's probably true. But uh, what, what would you say are the top two or three? Yeah, it, it is multiple things. I would say the top, I would say the top one is um 
having consistent or aligned goals, a lot of business owners overlook that. And then they kind of just think that the goal is assumed, right? It's to make as much money as possible. Right. But then when you have that kind of ambiguous goal, like that open-ended goal, then your work becomes open-ended and your, your results, <laughs> right. you know, like it's not like specific, it's not targeted. And I think that when, and it's important, I agree, it's important to drive revenue up, to drive profits up. Like why else are we in business if it's not, if, if that's not the goal? But at the same time, taking like shifting that goal from the revenue goal into other things, like instead of how much revenue can we increase this year, how many people can we help with this goal? Like if your goal, for example, is you are an attorney representing people, how many people, how many, how many lives can we impact? And then when you change that metric, it, it, it changes the revenue, it changes the, the perspective of the business, right? When you have, when you change the business. So I guess it's number one, it's the alignment of goals and alignment of goals in ways that are based off of value more so than just the revenue in, increasing revenue. And then the number two, even for savvy business owners, I would say a lot of business owners and, and, and people in general don't track their finances. Yeah. We have like bookkeeping software and things like that. But I would say that like tracking it in a way where you know your numbers very well, that's also a big problem too. Something I do myself, just I don't like like complex software. I just use a regular like Excel sheet or Google sheet and I just track my uh, current accounts as of that day, the value of those accounts and then the value of the debt and how much I earned that day every day. And it takes me about 10 minutes to do that every day. It's like an exercise I do just to wake up my mind and make sure that I'm, I'm in alignment with my goals. I track my goals daily. Again, so I, I so I'm, 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 I have my eye on the ball, right? I'm following that target, and I wasn't, you know, born this way. This came from year, years of like failure and making mistakes, and like, oh, if I, if I only knew that I had, you know, that bill due at that time, I would have avoided that problem or something like that. So, putting these systems in place to make sure that you don't have those, uh, that you don't forget. You know, my mentor always tells me that. Um, I, I love this quote. He always says that the your brain is a is the best place to create ideas, but the worst place to store them. So you want to always <laughs> kind of figure out a way to automate your thinking or automate things so like you're not having to remember things. I love that. Try to take as many notes as I can. I hope you guys out there are listening that are listening or taking notes too. Not if you're driving though. So pause. <laughs> write some notes down. Yeah. Uh, this is awesome. Well, you know, you, you talked a little bit about tracking through, uh, you know, just a spreadsheet and I, it amazes me how many times, you know, with all of the technology and all the stuff that's out there and available, how bogged down so many yeah. entrepreneurs get with technology. And it just is so refreshing to hear you're like, Oh yeah, just use my spreadsheet and I just go. And, and my partner is like that as well. She yeah. loves to just be able to put it in a spreadsheet so that she can organize it and see it the way she needs to. And it's not fancy. I mean, for goodness sakes, we all have access to, you know, Google Sheets these days. It's free. You don't have to have the most expensive, fancy Excel sheet or or even the craziest software. You just really need to understand what you're doing. And, and it sounds to me so much like that's what you help educate uh us to do mm -hmm. how you educate people to do. Hey, you hear the metrics, here are the things you need. Uh, and that's so cool. But one of the things that you said in the, in, in the first one that you mentioned is that getting people to that space where you are financially, uh, 
not necessarily secure, but financially uh, intelligent yeah. is such a, a challenging space. What do you feel like is the is the challenge in getting people to start to adopt those things after they've gotten stuck in their ways? I mean, obviously they've got to the space that they're in because of the habits that they have. So what are the challenges in, in changing that and getting out of those other habits and getting into the new ones? Yeah, it's it's the saying, right? If it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, it's like that, that kind of, you know, that kind of mentality, right? If it's like, if everything is working the way it is right now, why should we improve? Why should we change certain things? And I get that, right? Like, I, I understand that perspective and that you've been working so hard to get something to work and now it's working. Why would we go and, and, and start changing things and questioning things and, and really trying to fire in a different way? And I think that my, my response to that would be, you know, it's up to you to, you're, you're in, you're in control of this. If you want to improve, I think that um, I'm a big fan of Grant Cardone's book, The 10X Rule, right? right. In that book, he mentions, uh, you know, you want to multiply your goals by 10 times. So like if you're a business owner and you're, you're, you're reaching your goals, maybe that's in a way a problem, right? Because you're actually reaching your goals. Maybe your goals <laughs> should be bigger and, and almost like in a way unreachable. And this is something like a, a, a deeper philosophical sales and marketing thing that I'm, I'm going into. And it's it's the it's the ability to like stretch your mind beyond what you can actually reach. And when you do that, it leads to the the concept of process over result, right? So like result is we 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 check off, we we get that goal, we check it off our list. That's the the end end result. Process is we're gonna try, we're gonna work through our scripts, we're gonna work through our database, our marketing efforts with our business consultants like yourself, everybody to try to get to those goals. And in that process, we're uncovering more data, more research, we're rewiring our thinking process, our employees, our targets. And then that right there is more important than the end result. Again, it's important to hit those results to get the revenue in the door to keep your business in, in place, but expanding and finding more things, more work to do, more problems to solve, I think is, is more meaningful than just hitting the end result. In so many instances, we're talking to business owners and entrepreneurs, and that's generally our listeners out there is entrepreneurs that run businesses of all types. And one of the things that I love to hear about is, you know, we talk to adults about, about things that seem like they're adulting, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and yet I have four children and I know that in their education and in the education system, they're doing a really poor job of teaching about financial yeah. education. So in, in thinking about the kids coming up the generations now that need to understand finances in a much better way than that was ever taught, what would you tell them if like our our listeners were going, okay, I got to get this piece of information to my kids. What would you tell the the kids? What do they need to learn that isn't being taught in school right now? Yeah, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I would say that, like number one, who's giving the advice? Right? Who's teaching the advice? It's like you imagine yourself. You're in business school. Like you're doing your MBA or your PhD in business or some sort of graduate level degree. And your professor is going through some economics, some concepts on economics or finance. And then after that class, um, your professor gets into his car that's, you know, 30 years old and is worth 
you know, $500. Again, you can't judge a book by its cover, right? Right. <laughs> but would you trust that person as far as controlling money, making money, managing assets? I probably wouldn't. Again, it's it's a it's a it's a bit of an irrelevant argument to make to judge somebody by their car, but still it, it gives you that feeling deep down in you that this person probably isn't the best person with money. And that's the reality, I think, of the the academic perspective on teaching money is that it's a theoretical approach. It's we have these textbooks, we have these concepts, we have these formulas, and we teach them in, in business school and in business college and, and to younger people. But then applying those things to our life and then actually building businesses and making money and growing wealth and investing it and improving, that's a whole separate, that's a whole nother world there, you know, applying that and then teaching what you've applied. It's the difference between traditional education and self-education, right? Traditional education is I go, I get a bachelor's degree in finance or a master's degree in finance. Self-education is I'm going to listen to podcasts, take notes on them, listen, watch YouTube videos, read all these books, hire a consultant, hire a coach, go to workshops, go to seminars, and then I'm going to apply all that knowledge that I've learned and then actually watch my numbers grow based off of applicable um, applicable things I've actually applied and and used. That's it's it's two different it's two different ballparks. It's two different scenarios, right? So I think that's what I would teach younger people and show younger people is focus on the applicable things, not just what you're learning and what you're able to take a test on or write an essay on, but rather what you can actually apply in the in the real world. And it's a it's a big difference, right? Learning something in a textbook and then going out, make picking up the phone or meeting with somebody or meeting with the bank to get a loan. It's two different. It's it's completely different, right? So finding that difference and experiencing that difference is business, in my opinion. That is the ultimate business move: is to go out there and actually see what those differences are. I love that. And so many times, being in our position, I, I feel like the way that I've learned some of the most important things that I'm doing is doing that, going out and actually doing it. You know, you get that, that impractical education, which you have to get to be able to go do it, but you have to go do it. And I feel like the young people in this, this upcoming generation have this really cool advantage because they are hearing us all talk about that. They're hearing us say, go and do it because you're probably going to suck. Yeah. But eventually you're going to suck less. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. you know, go and do it. So in that light, what what's maybe one of the biggest lessons that you've learned by be, you know, to become a financial specialist in, in what you do from going out and doing it and maybe failing at it or, or mm-hmm. sucking at it? Can you tell us about something in that range? Yeah, I know. I think that when when it comes to like failure, right, we we think about school, right? Like in school, and I keep going back to school. I don't know why I keep going back. This is the most I've talked about school on a podcast, but <laughs> we we keep going back to, you know, we go, we go back to school and then what is failure in school, right? It's getting an F on something. And then we're taught in school that that F is permanent. It, it represents who you are, actually. You get an F in math, you are no longer good at math. Forget engineering, forget science, forget anything to do with math. You're not good at it. So we, we have these these conventional thing things in our mind embedded in our minds right and then we go out into the real world and we're about to start a business or about to do some sort of project and we think about well what if i fail then then it's on my report card well i think that in business and in the real world it's completely it's completely the opposite it takes i mean i i it takes you know probably 10 f's just to get to that one success if that maybe maybe even more than that so one thing I would, you know, go back to myself and to tell myself at a younger age is 
just do it. Just go out, do it. Don't worry. Just keep doing aim. Don't be afraid to aim big because when you aim big, you find out more knowledge about the world. You learn more about the world. The bigger your goals are, the more information you come across. It's not just about getting that A or that B or that C or whatever that grade mark is in your brain, in your brain that you're thinking of, or the, the, the points you can score at that time. It's about the information and the wisdom you can acquire through that process. I love that. It's so potent. And I think that, I think that more and more of us as business owners are starting to recognize that and mm -hmm. realize that as we go through our own journey of, of building our empires, so to yeah. speak. And, uh, and I think it's so important. I want to kind of dig into a bit more about what you do. You know, yeah. you obviously we've talked about the fact that you're a financial specialist. You also in your bio talk about being a private money lender and a real estate investor uh, and bank on yourself organization. Like I want to talk a little bit more about that stuff and about what you do and, and what you can do for yeah. all the entrepreneurs out there listening. Yeah, definitely. So in a very basic sense, I help people solve financial problems or seek financial opportunities in a very basic sense. So if you are struggling financially in your business or you're an, you're an employee, you're struggling with your finances, I can help you find some strategies to get out of those problems, to get out of debt. And or if you are doing well financially and you want to find different investments or different ways to grow your money outside of the stock market, not have to rely on what the stock market does. And, and kind of take a step away from conventional financial wisdom, I can help you with that as well. So sometimes it's the same person. We're helping right. somebody get out of debt, restructure their debt, while also buying a business or investing in, in, a, in, in a real estate deal or a private money deal. So in a very basic way, that's what I do. Um, it's all done pretty much virtually over the phone or over Zoom in all 50 states. Sometimes we could do certain things in Canada. It depends on what those, what, what the, how those conversations lead, but there's licensing restrictions, right? To that. Right. So mostly in the U S and, and uh, where was I going with this? And yeah, that's so pretty much financial strategy. That's, that's kind of like at our core, what we do and help people with insurance, risk management, uh, growing their portfolios, investing into real estate passively and actively. And I can get into some of those differences if you'd like. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit, uh, since it's the last thing you mentioned, let's talk about the real estate side. I think a lot of people are afraid to go mm -hmm. that route. And so they, uh, I hear a lot of times people are saying, oh, I, I've got to jump into the stock market, but I don't know about it. I know I should do real estate, but mm -hmm. oh, I don't know how to get into that. Talk a little bit more about how you can help with the real estate side of things. Uh, and then we'll we'll dig into some of the others. Yeah, yeah. So with real estate, I want to say that it's still even with right now with like interest rates nearly doubled in the last year and a slowdown in mortgages. Um, real estate is still a really good investment because of how it reacts to a recession and other market downturns, especially like multifamily housing, like re rental properties. Those types of properties are resistant to market down downturns. I would say the first step is in real estate, differentiate between being an active real estate investor and a passive real estate investor. So active is like, you're going to go out, you're going to buy a property, you're going to deal with the realtor, deal with the, the bank, the contractors, the tenants. It's, a, it's active engagement in, the, in real estate, right? It takes skills to do that. It takes money to do that. It takes experience. And then what happens if, for example, you are a full-time dentist or a full-time lawyer or a business consultant. You don't have time to go out, find properties, 
nor do you know how to do those things, you can invest into real estate passively. This is where you're just a limited partner. You're limited in the sense of liability. The most amount of money you can lose is your investment. Whereas when you're an active real estate investor, the most money you could lose in theory can go beyond your, your actual investment. So when you're a limited partner, you're limited in the sense of liability and you're also limited in the sense of control. You don't have any control, which is a good thing because you don't have to think about and you don't have to make any decisions. So I'm a big fan of passive real estate investing just because it's so easy to, to get into it. You do want to do your research. You want to review the deal. You want to review the people you're partnering, talk to your tax professional, your legal professional. It's a big deal, right? You're, there is risk involved investing into passive real estate. But I think some of those, if you understand those risks, um, you can, you can, I think, see the the benefits in it. I invested into a, a few limited partnerships at real estate. It could either be where you're investing directly into a real estate deal. Like there's a property, for example, like a hundred unit building and there's a hundred and for example, just to make it even numbers, a hundred investors, you're one of those investors, your shares are proportional to the value of that property. Um, and then there's a fund where you invest into a fund and then that fund is invested into other properties. So you own in essence a portion of that fund kind of like a mutual fund right um, and then there's also a third way where you can get into and that's private money lending this is where you loan your money to other real estate investors and then they go out and then they they promise you a return you could do that through your self-directed ira like if you have an ira right now or a 401k from a previous employer you can roll that into a self-directed ira use the ira to then start loaning out money to private money lenders and then have your money grow right now the stock market is in is not doing really well as we're, we're, we're in the end of 2022. So I would look at real estate or private money. Private money is really important because the, the returns are outlined, right? So I tell you, Michael, I give you, you know, a hundred thousand dollars interest only is due for the next five years on this, on this money at the end of that five-year term with the, with the last interest payment, get the principal back. It goes all back into the IRA or wh whatever vehicle you're using. So it's, it's predictable. You can see the returns. You can't do that with the stock market. You can't say, all right, you know, I'm going to get all this money back from this time to this time because there's volatility involved. There's risk involved. Uh, it changes. It fluctuates. So I would just kind of, if you want to take something away from this podcast, take away the idea of being a passive investor into something, not having to trade your time for that money. And then also look into alternative investments like real estate and private money lending. I love that. And, and huge, huge, huge insight there, guys. If you haven't, if you didn't get that, if you don't know about that already, you got to write that down mm -hmm. and you've got to, you've got to talk to Sari about this because honestly, this is how you will create more freedom yep. and more independence for yourself so that you can do the thing you love. And I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on a regular basis. And if you ask any entrepreneur ever why they got into doing what they're doing, they almost always freedom and security, yeah. <clears throat> independence, it's always there, except there's always one other side of it. It's because they love what they're doing and that's yeah. what got them in to do it. Now they'd like to do it because they love it, but not because they have to. And in most cases you get chained to your business and you, you all of a sudden feel like, oh, I have to do this or I can't make enough money to live or whatever. And so these are other ways, other strategies. And it uh, it's something that, that finding somebody that you can talk to and trust like Sari to work with 
you on this subject is going to be so valuable. It's going to be so important. So I, I highly suggest you reach out and, and start to connect because uh, he can help you with this. And this is, this is what you do on a regular basis, guys, you got to find somebody, you know, and that you can trust. And uh, I think Sari can do a great job for you to do that. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about how people can get in touch with you and about how they can connect with you so that, uh, that we can make sure we get them in touch. Yeah, Michael, it was a pleasure being on this podcast and speaking to you. I love the questions, love the, the show. Um, listeners can go to thinkinglikeabank.com. It's thinkinglikeabank.com. And then from that website, you can find our podcast, my LinkedIn, YouTube channel. You can email me. You can schedule a Calendly. You can, through the Calendly account, you can schedule an appointment with me. So everything is at thinkinglikeabank.com. I love that. That's awesome. I hope you guys all go check it out. We will put that link in the description. So if you can see the description, you can click on it there, or you can just go to it just based off of, of knowing it, thinklikeabank.com. Yep. Don't miss out. Go check it out. He's got all sorts of cool stuff there. You're going to love it. And uh, man, we can't wait to have you back on the show again another time. We'll We'll do it again. This has been so much fun. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.